Well, you used to really be scared here. Johnny. You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. Look, they're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny. podcast all about the video nasties and censored cinema my name is ashley mcnasty uh here with my lovely co-host elmo four and five hello we have a very special episode for you quite a uh, classic film we're about to be um, covering tonight i'm really excited about it but first some notes we would like to uh do a, a very brief apology uh for not releasing anything for the month of november uh, we just had a lot going on in our lives and uh, found it very difficult to record. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty uh, challenging month for us. <laughs> yeah, and uh, now for ad- so now we apologize to the audience. Now it's time to admonish and shame you because <laughs> I've been looking over our numbers here, and uh, no one has been watching. No one has been listening to the Phantasm episode titled "The Orbs," which you are missing the fuck out if you're not listening to that one. Yeah, right? that was a really no love good shown to that. It's a good episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a great episode. So definitely check that one out when you get a chance to. <laughs> yeah, it's an actual good movie, and we have like good and insightful things to say about it. Yeah, and it's like it's not just some boring piece of schlock. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this this one we're covering tonight is definitely uh, not schlock in any sense of the word. Like this is there's nothing campy, corny about it. Like this is an all out good movie in fact i think it's got like a 98 percent on rotten tomatoes if i'm not mistaken (laughs) i mean how many say this fuck rotten tomatoes we don't need to know nothing about that what we do need to know is that we watched this movie for ourselves and found it amazingly well done this is 1968's night of the living dead directed by george romero yeah and this one is a it's kind of a surprise for the video nasties list because if you go over our episodes we review a lot of really of really like low budget like crap movies with like no artistic integrity some of them but like this movie is like a cult classic and a genre changing movie you know i would even argue that it was not even not so much genre changing as genre establishing yeah that's very true this is like the quintessential uh zombie film like this is pretty much if you watch most modern zombie movies they are very much generally based on the lore of this film it all leads back here yes all of the modern zombie mythology that we know and are aware of comes from this movie and this movie alone yeah and um i was um i remember when i was first looking at the video nasties list i was i was actually was really surprised to see night of the living dead on this list because generally when you go through the video nasties list there's not that many really spectacular films that were put on that list yeah it's 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 mostly a lot of grindhouse schlock straight to video just kind of you know we're gonna try to be as gory as possible to kind of drum up some sales but yeah yeah, this one's i mean this one's rather different because it's it's one of the older films on the list which you know they it, it generally didn't make it there that being said for an older film and for uh you know something of uh, you know they came out in 1968 uh it is surprisingly violent <laughs> oh yeah this is an extremely violent movie extremely suspenseful the acting is phenomenal you know it really gets you sucked into every character of the film like this is like re-watching this like 
I was like, I like, I watched it when I was a little kid and watching it now, I think I appreciate the movie even more than I did when I was watching it when I was younger. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's really, really interesting, uh, in that it's, uh, yeah, how it, it, well, frankly, yeah, I don't think, I don't think a film this violent had ever really been shown up to this point. I think, well, I think actually at that point, uh, Hollywood had begun changing a bit. And so it, specifically, I think it was 1968, maybe 1967, uh, where you have some mainstream Hollywood films that had kind of unprecedented levels of violence in them, uh, particularly Bonnie and Clyde. That one kind of was like, no one had really seen violence on that level before. And this one comes along, and even with horror films, like, yeah, you expect there's going to be some violence, you know, maybe a little bit of blood here or there, but it's this one goes way harder than i think anyone had expected oh yeah and if you think about the late 60s like this was the time when the movie psycho was considered still a controversial film and so this really tested the waters like this this movie went places that no no movie shown in theaters had went before you know it was i mean they're eating guts on screen they're eating guts on screen and a child kills her mother (laughs) yeah i mean that is pretty brutal for the time it's still pretty brutal now when you think about it i mean yeah because you know the film is rather the film is rather effective it's still effective like the film it it gets (laughs) you oh yeah for sure and um yeah there was uh i i forget the name of the documentary uh it was birth of the living dead yeah and one thing uh, was cool to find out about this movie is, you know, I've always had a fascination and obsession with the old Grindhouse movies that this was originally shown in the Grindhouse circuit. And it's kind of interesting to think of it being played at those kind of theaters because, you know, it had just like now it's such a beloved mainstream film. But, you know, I just I just well, I mean, I thought I that really, was kind of cool. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I really can see this being like oh this is totally you know what we i think they say typically this was in like the second or third billing in double or triple features for grindhouse and drive-in films you know and they said like it was like oh yeah typically if you're the third feature in a film like in a, like a drive-through at this point no one is watching the movie the p- only people are there are basically there so they can make out in the car but yeah. then <laughs> this film comes on and it's like uh hold, hold up hold up what's going on what is this? And it's interesting because because there is a very... I mean, it's clear that this is a low-budget film, but at the same time, it is done with like a sense of professionalism and craft to it. So like, even though the low budget does kind of show through a bit, there is this other sense of it that's like, oh yeah, like you know, all the cinematography is really well done. And it's it has all of these kind of touches that like is clearly drawing from Ingmar Bergman in terms of uh, uh, the, like the visual stylings, the use of light and shadow. And also the fact that it's a black and white film and kind of in the documentary uh, Birth of the Living Dead, they make it really clear that by this point in 1968, like the only reason you would make a film in black and white is if it's an ultra low budget film by this point color film was incredibly common most movies were shot in color so this is like you know ultra fucking low rent if it's being shot in black and white yeah and uh something interesting i noticed today because uh uh, there is a in color version of this movie and i decided to rewatch it to see kind of what it looked like in color and I realized, I was like, this movie is actually kind of scarier in black and white, actually. Like, the the color didn't do it any justice, actually. Oh, yeah, I would think the color, like a colorized version would just be absolutely abhorrent. And I, I wonder if this was part of, because I know in the 80s, um, Ted Turner with, you know, when he started Turner Broadcasting and, you know, started you know, Turner Classic Movies, a big thing he started doing was buying up all these classic, you know, these older classic movies and colorizing them. And it was considered incredibly controversial. Well, because it's like they were, these were shot in black and white. They were never intended to be colorized, you know? Yeah. It's, and I, I wonder if, the, and well, this one in particular, 
would be really easy to do that with because it very famously had a number of copyright issues with it um, that led it basically lapsing into the public domain like almost immediately. Yeah, Europe came in and like took the bag from George Romero. I felt bad for him when I was watching that documentary. I was like, oh, they didn't pay you shit for the Europe tickets. Oh, that's messed up. Well, not just the Europe tickets, the United States tickets. He said uh, his uh, production company, Image 10, saw almost no money come in from it uh, because of basically like these copyright issues uh, and issues with a film distributor. And while uh, his company did sue the distributor basically by the time they ended up winning the distributor went under like basically declared bankruptcy and went under shortly after so they weren't able to collect any of the uh, royalties owed to them yeah it's and a- then i think it was they changed the t- it was due to a title change and not including the copyright symbol and some of the and some kind of other small legal stuff that you typically see underneath the title you know usually in fine print but that wasn't included and if you go back and look at it you know, and watch the film and see the opening. It just says Night of the Living Dead, and there's nothing else about it. And it's like, oh, there there are no other copyright notices. And that, in part, kind of led to this movie basically entering the public domain almost as soon as it uh, was released. Yeah, one thing that's interesting about when you hear about these classic films where the... Uh where you know the cast or the director or the crew gets kind of screwed over financially you know i was uh i remember when we were reviewing the texas chainsaw massacre and you know it was interesting to find out that you know you would when you're just watching the movie you're thinking like oh this is such a good movie they must have made so much money from it and then you find out behind the scenes they're like nah everybody got kind of screwed on this one you know and it's always a surprise to me yeah, it's, it's, it's always the distributor who rakes in all the films, you know, rakes in all the money from the film, and yeah, the, the people who actually made the film just get absolutely fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's... unfortunately what happened with this film. That being said, it was a huge starting off point and, you know, basically slingshotted George Romero into being able to really kickstart his career because prior to this, um, he just shot um, commercials and industrial films. Um, and just working out of a uh, small studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty, I think George Romero was like able to just kind of continue to make movies until he passed. Like, I think there were even some George Romero movies in like the early 2000s, you know, he had a very long Oh yeah, no, George Romero never stopped. Yeah, he he never stopped, he never retired, and he just, uh, and he made so much amazing work after that. There's tons of great movies from George Romero following this. <laughs> no, he he continued to make. Uh, actually, I'm looking this up right now. Um, yeah, he continued to make films. Yeah, until he died in 2017. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and I think very notably, uh, he eventually moved to Canada, uh, to Toronto, and became a Canadian citizen. Um, even though he's, you know, from, uh, I think initially he was from the Bronx in New York and then, uh, ended up moving to, um, uh, yep, to Pittsburgh where kind of he got his, you know, start, really got his true start in film. But then I think most likely due to, I think the fact that, well, probably liked Toronto, but also the reason he chose to become a citizen is likely because he was able to get, um, the i think canadian government funding for his films as uh yeah that's a pretty common thing to do in canada where it's like oh they're gonna give you you know funding to make a canadian film to put this out on behalf of canada into the film world so they have a cultural export yeah was night living dead filmed in it was filmed in I no no it was... no it was it, night living dead is a pittsburgh film is yeah very, that's what i it thought it is yeah. filmed and set in pittsburgh pennsylvania yeah because they even said they got like they actually got like real like law enforcement and public uh, officials from the town to actually participate in the movie and i think you know with the ending scene i think you could really feel that it like like all the people who were playing like the cops and the hunters you know they they, they felt real that scene felt so real but like a lot of them were actually cops and they got yeah. they got a lot of public officials from the city to get involved with the movie which i think is kind of cool oh that they yeah got the that, city that was themselves the... to get involved 
because yeah, they do they uh in order to do some of the big filming sequences, uh it's like well one, they just solicited, you know, extras. Who wants to be in a horror film? Who wants to play a you know, a, you know, a living dead corpse, a zombie in this and this got a bunch of the local people like, Oh yeah, I'm I want in and then also they got, you know, the people uh they got uh, their local police department involved with it you know because it was like hey you guys want to be in a movie it's like sure yeah of course and then also their local television station to who uh you know george romero had connections to and because i think the guy the newscaster in the film is an actual newscaster yeah <laughs> and so like when he was reading it off it's like well that's how he would have read it off yeah <laughs> and that's and that's what partially gave it this sense of realism to it yeah and the fact that I think, and they make a, you know, a, a point to talk about this in the documentary that the fact that they actually um, went in and were like, you know, having this newscast going in the film was kind of like a new thing that they previously didn't happen, and that really roots the film in a reality yeah. that's like much closer to ours, and it doesn't really go into this extreme kind of fantasy. Because uh, I think that's one of the things they talked about was zombie films prior to Night of the Living Dead were very different. It was mostly based in like the the Haitian voodoo style mm -hmm. zombie, um, which is you know kind of where this comes from, but it, it's very different and rather removed. And you know, I think someone in the documentary was saying that like you know had this film been made you know five or ten years earlier the cause for the zombie outbreak and plague, you know, like would have been attributed to, you know, a voodoo curse or a mad scientist, you know, whereas yeah. this it's, I think George Merritt just said, he, like, well, God just changed the rules and there is no explanation. Yeah. There's a certain mystique to the film that makes it really eerie because uh, on the scenes where they're tuning into the news, no one has a real explanation to why this is happening everyone just has theories to what what's happening and the only thing they think they can fi seem to figure out is how to kill them but the why or how to stop the spread you know there's it, it doesn't give you a conclusive end or solution to it and there's a certain amount of hopelessness in this film that makes it extra terrifying and yeah and i think it also it dra definitely draws um kind of from the the general cultural atmosphere of 1968 of this kind of idea of this breakdown of institutions and distrust of institutions to be able to do anything uh yeah. you know because specifically we're talking about you know this is you know kind of the height of the vietnam war and well I, it's not even the height of the vietnam war but it's kind of the point where the vietnam war has kind of gone on enough that people are no longer behind it yeah and uh you also are having uh, a shit ton of violence with the civil rights movement and people kind of really begin to distrust you know the authorities uh, and kind of distrusting the official story on things. Yeah, and um, another side note before we get back into the um, you know the uh, political aspects of this yes. movie, I just want to give a shout out to the people who played the actual zombies because the scenes where they are on fire, they're just on fire. I found <laughs> yeah, that's out. right. Like they were just like there's yeah, no safety equipment, no safety equipment, just just. We're just going to light you on fire. You're going to roll on the ground and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. Like, if, if you start to feel hot, just start, just, you know, roll on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like, they just set them on fire. It's like, oh my fucking God. And it's true. And the zombies also, when they're eating the guts they're eating, like, that's just straight up stuff from a slaughterhouse. It's like, that's like cow and sheep livers. Yeah, and it's, it's just not raw. Cooked. Yeah. Yeah, just raw like and intestines and stuff, and just like, I mean, you can't you can see they're never actually swallowing anything, but like they're biting into it, and yeah, you could get them... really sick from that. Like, oh, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure there's a couple of them who ended up throwing up after that scene. Well, I and can't then, imagine uh, they oh would. god, and how about uh, uh, one of the well, actually one of the main actresses in the film, Marilyn Eastman, um, she ends up doubling as a zombie in a couple scenes, and she's like the woman who eats the bug off the tree. Oh yeah, that was real, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just like sticks into her mouth. Like, oh my fucking god! It's like, yeah, these people went all out with it. Yeah, they really pulled no punches to um, to make this movie work, and and the result is a 
brilliant classic movie that's beloved by millions of people. It's yeah, yeah. And we'd also be remorseless. Uh, like, definitely need to talk about this. And this might be the most prominent political part of the film was uh, the casting of Dwayne Jones as the lead in the film. And it's noble because Dwayne Jones is a black man being cast as a as the lead actor and the hero of a film in 1968. This was totally unheard of. Yeah, and um, I think I, I found it interesting that uh, in the documentary they talked about how the the script, it wasn't originally written for a black man to to be the main character, but when they got a black actor as the lead, they decided to not change a single sentence in the script. So, you know, I thought that was, I, you know, I thought that was yeah, interesting just, just that they it, did that, you know? They just kept it as is and kind of had it this unacknowledged part of it but at the same time for any audiences who would be watching it it's you know, it'd be unmistakable what they're doing oh yeah they, we, and yeah this i is... guess they did say that uh the only like really sydney poitier was the only leading black man of the time and even then you know it, it's it's kind of like he was the right guy in the right time in the right place I and mean, he was a classically trained actor but a lot of the roles he ended up taking you know, kind of had this, it, it was very much of this kind of black respectability politics where it's, you know, you look back on, you know, a lot of the films he did and, and it, it's, you know, you, you kind of cringe at some of it. It's, and, and it's not really to, you know, belittle him or his work, but he, he kind of became this avatar for kind of um, black assimilationism. And it's it's something that I don't think he was completely comfortable with, you know, uh, throughout his career. Yeah, I mean, I I'd still say that this movie was light years ahead of its its time oh. because oh yeah, like because um, like if you watch other movies from that era, it's like it's like usually the black characters are just kind of thrown in the like the background. They'll they'll have like like the entire they play movie the help. will be white people and then you'll have like a black waiter who talks to pe- talks to like the main characters for like two seconds to like serve them a plate of food you know yeah <laughs> or it's also like you know the the trope of like like oh yeah if you have like yeah the black people are yeah they might be in some stuff but they might just be in supporting roles and you know in like the classic yeah the black guy dies first kind of a thing you know it's like well, to be fair, I don't think I've actually ever seen a film where the black guy dies first. I've seen plenty of films where, oh, the black guy's going to die and he's not going to make it out of here. But it's it's like, but it definitely does play into that stereotype, though. Yeah. And, but And this film, well, let's just say everyone dies at the end of this film, but Dwayne Jones does make it to the very end of the film. <laughs> yeah, and I would say that's still kind of uncommon for horror. In fact... I've been watching oh, horror yeah. movies all. Uh, I've watched horror movies all my life, and it's like, oh look, the final person is the white girl who doesn't want to have sex. <laughs> but even then, that trope was established in the late seventies. Yeah. So this is, and prior to that, this was it was much more common to, to kind of do monster, you know, the, like classic kind of monster movies that were kind of usually aping off of the universal horror films. Think Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman. Um, talked about, you know, a lot of um, Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Uh, you know, obviously you do get some kind of like a science fiction, giant atomic monster kind of stuff. You know, it's aping Godzilla. But it's, yeah, but this kind of thing where, yeah, so spoiler alert, you know, he ends up well, actually, you know, let's uh, let's get into the film itself. I was actually just about to say that we've been talking for like twenty minutes about the background of this movie, but yeah, maybe it is about yeah. time to get into the film proper. I was just literally yeah. about to say that. <laughs> oh, and one last thing about the movie before we go in. Uh, so I guess in nineteen ninety nine, the film was uh, deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and is uh, currently preserved in the National Film Registry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it definitely earned its place there. <laughs> yes. I mean, but... So, uh, as we start in, uh, we have um, brother and sister, uh, Barbara and John. Uh, they're driving out to a uh, cemetery way out in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, just somewhere outside of Pittsburgh, but it's clear that it's like, oh, they've had to drive for a while to get here, and yeah. they're going to go visit their father's grave. 
I think it was, was it the mother or father? I don't remember. But. I think it's their dad. Well, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. They're visiting a grave. <laughs> a grave, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, and as they're there, you know, Barbara distresses, you know, she kind of expresses, you know, discomfort being in a cemetery. And you get this absolutely iconic line where, you know, her brother begins to tease her about it. And, you know, he starts doing almost like this, it's not really a fourth wall breaking thing, but it's more like this referential. We understand what horror movies are in this universe thing, where it's like they're coming for you, Barbara. They're almost here. You know, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah, yes, that line. That's it. That line is so iconic. You know? <laughs> oh fuck yeah! I'm gonna use that as the intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a very uh, that is a very iconic line. And one thing uh, about that that scene where where they're they're driving and they go to the cemetery and he's kind of teasing he's teasing his sister and stuff kind of freaking her out it's like i was thinking this like wow that was the most light-hearted part of the movie and the entire rest of the movie there's no comic relief it's all a downer it's all terrifying it's all suspenseful and it's a very uncomfortable ride of a movie in the best oh, way yeah. possible it never lets up yeah and so very quickly, you kind of see in the background, there's some guy kind of, you know, milling about in the background, but, you know, kind of, it's called Night of the Living Dead. I'm pretty sure we all know what this guy is. And, you know, very quickly after, you know, uh, John starts teasing Barbara, you know, this, uh, yeah, this shambling man turns out to be, you know, a zombie, the first, zo- the first modern zombie we see on screen. And he immediately begins to attack Barbara. Yeah, and uh, one thing I think is genius. I think is genius, which makes me like this movie more than a lot of other zombie movies, is that a lot of them actually appear to like, from a first glance, to look like regular people. So then, by the time you find out, it's too late. You know, it's like in more modern zombie movies, it's like, like when the zombies come out, they're they already ha- their cheeks are falling off, they're covered in blood. You already know what's happening, but there is something very sinister about how how with the the zombies in this film, you, you have to cut, you know, you have to wait and see if they're actually alive or dead. And there's something that it's like, oh shit! Per- now now that you figured it out, now it's too late. He's already about to eat you, you know. Yeah, particularly with the first guy, because it's like, oh, he still has his clothes on, and it's like, yeah, it looks a bit rumpled and tattered, but it's like, yeah, he could just be a bum or something, or, you know, who knows? And it's like, and why would you know? It's like, no one's expecting the, you know, the dead to rise. <laughs> yeah, especially especially not in the uh, era of the first, uh, before the first zombie movie was ever made. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. And so... Uh, during this struggle, um, eventually, you know, John comes and, uh, you know, try, you know, wrestles the guy, you know, wrestles the zombie off of Barbara, but eventually he overpowers John and, you know, bites and kills him. And then, and then it comes to a rather extended, uh, chase sequence in which Barbara is frantically running away from this zombie and, you know, locks herself in the car and, you know, he zombie comes and like picks up a i think it's a brick or a rock nearby and like bashes the window in which apparently was real it wasn't sugar glass or anything (laughs) yeah i don't even know if that kind of glass existed then yet or just they certainly if it did they certainly didn't have the budget for it because it turns out that was um one of the producer's mom's car and they said like (laughs) part of it is like oh we'll just yeah we're gonna smash in your window don't worry we'll replace it and uh and then actually it's very funny as they were shooting the whole sequence um she had gotten, you know, in between them shooting it, she had gotten into a small car accident, you know, where one, the, the door got banged up. And so yeah, they that. had to incorporate yeah. this into the film. And so they have, you know, Barbara, you know, she can't get the car to start, but she is able to, you know, you know, get it out of park and put it in a neutral and start rolling down the hill. And she, you know, but the zombie is kind of like, you know, picking up speed and running after her. And she, you know, she loses control of it and steers it into a, uh, into the side of a tree. So it's like, okay, we've worked in the, uh, banged up door into this now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, oh, clever. It's good. And then, and then from there, she's just running and running, running and eventually finds a farmhouse that she's able to lock herself into. Yeah. Uh, and then she meets, uh, Ben, the actual hero of the film. And she's just like freaked the fuck out. 
you know, because she saw her brother died and this, you know, corpse fucking chase after her. Yeah, and you can tell that that Ben already kind of knows a little bit what's going on. And, you know, you find out that he's been kind of dealing with this a little bit longer than she has because when she gets into the house, she has no idea what happened. In her head, there's just some psycho chasing her, you know? But at the same time, it's like, and why would she? It's like, they, you know, her and her brother have been driving all day. They're going out into the middle of rural Pennsylvania. They don't, ha- you know, they don't know what's going on. They they haven't had contact with anyone all day. Yeah. Whereas, like, with him, you know, he got his car run off the road, and there was, you know, hordes of zombies everywhere. Yeah. And so, and I guess this is also um, something I am going to bring up and note that I think is a part of the film that hasn't aged particularly well. Um uh, let's just say, in terms of uh, treatment of uh, women and gender in the film, there is a bit to be desired. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess say this film is... Uh, the sexism in this film did not age particularly well, and uh, no one really talks about or addresses this, but I'll go ahead and be the one to do it. Um, Barbara basically, and it's specifically with the character of Barbara... Um, Basically, after the chase scene, she basically goes catatonic and just becomes... Well, she becomes hysterical first. Ben slaps her, um, which, you know, at the time also, you know, a black man slapping a white woman, just absolutely unheard of on screen. Yeah. Um, Not necessarily in a positive, though, I will say. I think George Romero has actually said he's regretted that the writing of that scene. And I think it was, yeah, it was kind of made worse with like... Because... There, back then there was i mean you know there it was a much more inflated fear of like oh the black woman hurting the white woman and stuff but uh i think george romero or black actually, man for hurting the white woman yeah, yeah black, black man hurting the white woman like you know and uh i think well i mean she to be fair she does i think she hits him first yeah uh, and then he you know because because she's you know absolutely hysterical because of everything that's happened but it's like i think at the same time like the fact, and then she just goes catatonic for the rest of the film, and just doesn't really do anything. And I think none of the women in the film have any real agency. Um, and it's it's, and I think that's kind of a a glaring issue, kind of to modern audiences watching this film now. Yeah. Well, uh, George Romero was talking about how he felt like it was so progressive to not rechange the script with the new black lead but he said he's like oh there's a lot of things in the script looking back on i would have changed like maybe i would have rewritten there was a few parts that he's like i definitely would have with the eyes i have now i would have uh, rewritten that you know <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm inclined to agree with george romero and i'm glad that at least he's seen it and you know hopefully has grown you know had grown from that moment but you know it's hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, yeah, and, uh, and, like, yeah, it is, it is 1968, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the only woman in the film who really has any serious agency, I mean, or has more agency than any of the other ones is, uh, uh, Helen, who's, uh, uh, you know, the, the wife of, uh, as we'll find out, um, turns out the entire time as these zombies have been attacking upstairs, there's actually been a family who've locked themselves away in the basement of this house and had just been waiting for the commotion to stop. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, the woman, uh, Marilyn Eastman, who was the, uh, you know, the bug-eating zombie, uh, mainly plays uh, Helen Cooper, who is, uh, you know, kind of the wife of this um, rather unpleasant man who's kind of locked in, you know, locked the, his family away in the basement. And uh, it's kind of clear that... Um, her and her husband have a strained marriage and she does have a bit of agency, but there's, it's like, I mean, that that's kind of about it. Yeah. The, the first time I saw that movie, I was like, I remember that guy is so hateable that it's just like, I'm like zombies just eat him. Like, I think it's almost like they, to frustrate the audience is that they waited super long to kill that guy, even though he was the most hateable character in the movie. And the whole time I'm just like, kill him. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like he's and, the worst. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's, well, it, but to be fair, it's a strange thing is that it turns out he was right. And because, because it's, 
so it's so we find out so there's a bit of zombie action that goes on upstairs and then we finally find out that um in fact there has been there's five people in the cellar it's right because there's a you know, who's it it's harry he's the uh the incredibly unlikable guy yeah. um and father you know uh and uh, uh yeah he's the father of this family uh and his wife helen who you know they have a strained relationship and then i forget what their daughter's name is but they have a daughter um you know a young daughter she's you know kind of maybe under 10 years old but older than five years old um and then there is a a younger couple um who i am forgetting their name it's like it's tom and judy that's right yeah one thing with this movie is it's it uh it's it's, it never really lets up with the intensity it's like there's there's not really any small talk so it can be pretty hard to like remember everybody's name throughout just yes just because like yeah this as you know after you know it's like after 10 minutes of, of the film running it's like it's automatically just a complete hellscape and like you know a carnival from hell you know yeah it's true they don't, they don't really do a whole lot of name dropping throughout the film so it's like it's just it's like they introduce everyone then they don't really mention a whole lot of names afterwards so it's a little difficult to remember some everyone's i'm trying to you know look it up on wikipedia as we're going here but (laughs) um but so it's interesting though because so then you begin to have a bit of a power struggle between ben and harry because ben insists that no let's everyone let's stay up you know stay up here we'll board up all the windows you know and you know we'll have better access up here in the house you know trying to fend them off and just kind of you know at least you know last through the night until we can kind of you know get a real plan together and figure out you know how to get out of here but harry insists no let's just go downstairs you know we'll take all the supplies we need downstairs and there's plenty down there already and we'll just bar the doors up there's no way any of them will get in you know tom doesn't like this because you know it's like then we're just sitting ducks we're trapped down there there's no there's no other way out but you know as we'll find at the end of the movie it turns out that uh, the seller was the right choice yeah ultimately that was the thing and it's like it's well it's that onion headline um you know uh what was it devastating the worst person you know just made an excellent point (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) and it's so true it's like he's like he just this unlikable just like horrible pill of a man but it's like well yeah fuck he was right (laughs) well there's so many scenes where it's just like everyone is struggling to stay alive and he just cowers in the corner that's right and he's a coward yeah he's a total coward he completely is a coward throughout the movie and then like when he comes back for dialogue he starts criticizing the shit out of everything everyone else is doing oh yeah it's awful i was like oh i hate this guy (laughs) (laughs) so they're able to get some of the house boarded so they end up deciding they're gonna go with tom's plan they're gonna board the house up and kind of you know uh figure out what's going on and so they decide that we're they're gonna so they note that like oh there are more of these you know, and it's interesting. They don't, and this also goes the classic trope in zombie films of not saying zombie, and they never call them zombies. And this, they call them ghouls. Yeah, I, I like that word, ghoul. Yeah, it'd be ghouls. Ghoul. There's something ghoul great about it. It's a fun a, word. I think it's a woody word. I, ghoul. <laughs> I think more horror movies need to bring back the use of the word ghoul. It's just a cool ass word, in my opinion. Yeah, no, ghoul. It's a great world. Ghoul. It's a great world. <laughs> ghoul. 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 I'm gonna be saying that all night. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so, so when they figured out, so what was it? They figured out that there is a uh, a pickup truck outside, and. But it's out of gas. But there is a gas pump. But there's a gas pump. But the gas pump is locked. Ooh. So they need to. And and the number of and the number of ghouls outside is growing. And at first it's like, oh, it was just a couple. But now it's like, oh, there's like ten of them now. It's like, and there might be more coming, and we don't know. But it's like, it's they're becoming more and more unmanageable. You know, as as the numbers grow. So it's like, okay, we need to act quickly on this. And so. They figure it like, okay, we're gonna have um, it was it Tom and uh, Ben, um, 
That's right. I was saying Tom earlier. Sorry, it was Ben. Because I'm confusing everyone's fucking names. Ben, our main hero, and Harry were having the issue. Tom is the younger man with his uh, girlfriend, Judy. Um, who, frankly, they don't really have a personality, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just like, we're extra people to eat later. <laughs> exactly. So... And I, I think that was part of the fake out, though, is because you kind of believe that, you know, Tom and Judy, this young couple, they're going to be, you know, some of the people who are going to make it out of this. Well, eh, not so much. So, uh, originally, so Ben and Tom were going to go out and get the, um, and, and go and, you know, get this car and, f- you know, fill it up. And they were kind of, kind of run into str- and have some other people, you know, make some Molotov cocktails you know, throw them out and kind of make a distraction on one side of the house as they go at the back, try and get this thing. And so they're able to get out, you know, they make their Molotov cocktails, they're throwing them out the front window, they're going around back and they're trying to, you know, frantically get this thing off. You know, they have this key ring and they can't find the right key to it. Eventually Ben comes, you know, with his rifle, shoots the lock off. Um, and so they're able to, you know, get the, and of course they're also using, um, like basically they make a makeshift torch out of like a table leg with a rag around it. And well, in the process of getting it, of, of getting the gas pump out, uh, they light it on fire and accidentally light the car on fire. Oh yeah. And, and by the way, also Judy runs out, not part of the plan and attempting to help them. And now she's just out there with them too. And, I think both Tom and Judy are in the car as they're trying to fuel it up, but the fuel has caught fire and the car fucking explodes. Yeah, one thing I was uh, thinking when watching them throwing out the Molotov cocktails and lighting all the stuff on fire, I'm like, there was a gas pump out there. <laughs> I know, it's just like, oh my god, really, just like, of all things, like, get, like, keep the people with the fire away from the fucking gas pump. But, so it's like, <laughs> okay, so their plan has been foiled now and they don't have a plan to get out of here anymore. Yeah, and, and that's like that's the thing that increases the tension so much is that it just goes from bad to worse. Yeah, it just gets more and more hopeless. Like at the beginning, there's like a bunch of different ways you could think of that these people will survive, but it just every turn something else goes wrong, and it just becomes more hopeless. Yeah, and and so throughout this, I forget exactly when, but they they kind of intersperse. You know, they find that, like, in addition to having a radio in the house so they can get news, there's also a television they're able to set up. And they're able to get, you know, these, you know, kind of occasional news news transmissions of uh, kind of what's going on in the wider world. And so this is where we get interviews with, you know, kind of the sheriff's posse. And they're basically, they've been going through and just, you know, kind of killing everything in their path that they think looks like a zombie. And you also get this, you know, news... Uh, footage of you know the sheriffs with their German shepherds on a leash kind of going through and particularly in 1968 the police with German shepherds had taken on a very like racist tone to it yeah it, it it's weird it, one thing that's kind of a trip with this movie is you know that the cops and the German shepherds are the help but you know are supposed to be like the help to save everybody but at the same time they did this really they did this like great way of filming to where you just they still seem th- they seem like they're, they're also menacing. a threat yeah they just i mean yeah it's 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 kind of unmistakable you know how the sheriff how the sheriff's posse is portrayed it's like they kind of resemble a lynch mob oh yeah and for it's sure. like it, it's unmistakable that was the intention yeah they seem so like i can't wait to kill me zombie like you know just kind of this weird callousness or something it's like uh yeah like they just they seem really callous about it like you know it's like it seems like normal people would be like this is awful i have to like go out and shoot a bunch of people this is terrible yeah like they, it's like they're just kind of being rather matter of fact about the whole thing but, and i think that's partially because um all of their scenes were improvised. Mm, yeah. So there, there, there wasn't a script from. They just kind of had him out, had him go out and just improvise. Yeah, and that actually added to a certain uh, realism at the end of. Oh, the Oh yeah, big time. And then, and so, and then, so since we're on the topic of the news broadcasts, another news broadcast that it's been kind of theorized that the that the corpses have been reanimating uh, because of radiation from a recent space probe uh 
that had returned back from Venus, but had exploded over Earth, over in re-entry to Earth's atmosphere. But and and, and so. You know, we get a scene where there's reporters kind of t- trying to talk to some government officials who are, you know, kind of, you know, walking out of a building. And so they're kind of doing this walk and talk interview as they're kind of trying to get away from the reporters. And, you know, they're telling you, it's like, well, we're certain it's uh, you know, it's radiation from a uh, space probe. Another one starts contradicting. Well, actually, we don't know that. We, we don't know that for sure. That is a working theory only right now. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really scary to have absolutely no real definitive explanation because when you watch when you watch all, uh, a lot of movies from this era too there's always like there's always like a uh, origin story of the monster there's, there's well, exactly no it's like, it, it, it would have been a mad there. scientist you yeah know, mad you know. scientist or a curse or something but this this just like this just happens and no one this, knows what yeah, the this fuck is to a do. game changer yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh so so eventually it's like and okay so kind of getting back to the main action of it so now tom and judy are just fucking dead and ben basically just comes back fucking defeated here and and they realize it's and so they realize um throughout this the uh the cooper's daughter um has been injured and because we don't and because this is so new no one really is actually knows the rules of zombies yet and this That's is true where they go in she was bitten by one of them and that and so now we have she dies from her injuries and resurrects mm-hmm. and it's like oh this like this is the first if you get bit by a zombie you become a zombie thing and it's like oh shit like th- and that was like th- one of the biggest game changers of George Romero's zombies versus like the old style zombies yeah in fact um yeah they they kind of laid the like the groundwork for like the permanent rules of zombies like the only thing that changed was like when 28 days later came out and fast moving zombies came yeah. out but like zombies remained exactly the same from 1968 to like the early 2000s so that's like 2004 yeah where they introduced fast zombies fast zombies (laughs) where they move really fast yeah but even then it only that's just like that is just also like oh yeah 2002 whenever 28 days later came out uh sorry i was thinking about the remake of dawn of the dead um (laughs) but uh i mean okay same difference but it's it's but also even then it that only just adds to like the the zombie lore that has been built up since this film it's just that's just another addendum on top of this. Oh yeah, because they they yeah. still go by the same other rules. All like the they rules bite still you, apply, and the only ways to kill them is to really like shoot them in the head or just like set them on fire. You know. Yeah, and yeah, of course you do have some films that deviate a little bit, like uh, the Return of the Living Dead series kind of makes it where it's like, oh, even cutting off their head doesn't kill them. You it's like you. Those are basically just unstoppable juggernauts in those in those movies. Although those movies are like they're kind of like satirical parodies a little bit. So. They're a bit they're a bit goofier, and they're actually they they reference Night of the Living Dead specifically. Yeah, uh, in the first one, it's like you ever seen Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, well, get this, it was based on a real event. It happened <laughs> right here in this town. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's like. Like, basing the rules of, like, Return of the Living Dead would be, like, basing uh, slasher rules on, like, the scary movie series, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's, that's kind of it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, kind of getting back to this, um, so, yeah, the daughter, Karen, reanimates, and, that's right, um, I forget how, but, uh, yeah, uh, Harry her father also i think he gets killed and uh, so yeah, she starts shot. To, that's right he gets shot and yeah actually who, who does ben shoot him yeah but yeah ben shoots him oh shit that's right because he was like gonna like attack him or something oh yeah because yeah. he was like most of the movie he was like inspiring to kill ben especially like or get, at least get ben killed and stuff especially after the uh the two people blew up in the truck there's one part where he's that's talking. right because he wasn't get, he was he wasn't gonna let Hen, uh ben back into the house yeah he wasn't gonna let let ben back into the house and then he was talking to his wife later like we need to get the gun from him look what happened in the truck and his wife was continuously disappointed in him <laughs> and that's right boy ben doesn't intentionally shoot him though it's the ghouls break through the barricades and he he shoots him dead yeah by accident i think kind of by accident but eh, maybe not so much <laughs> yeah 
Um, and so, yeah, so the daughter, she starts, like, you know, eating her father and then comes and attacks her mother with a, uh, with, like, a trowel yeah. and, and stabs her to death. I mean, which is showing off screen, but, you know, then they, you know, splash blood over the walls and it's, like, it's still pretty disturbing. Yeah, and the, the whole scene is so creepy. and just, like, the, the, the kid did a really good job at looking super menacing and scary, like... I remember that part really freaking me out when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Like that was like, no. there was a few scenes that got to me like when I was a kid and that was one that I, like, well, I, I mean, that and that's, fucked with me. <laughs> and that's truly one of the iconic, in addition to like the first cemetery zombie, like the young girl kind of reanimating and being a zombie is like truly one of the iconic scenes from the film. And in a lot of like modern posters of the film, it'll feature her on the cover. Oh yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. And so at this point, the film's basically almost over. You know, the zombies have, you know, they're able to re, uh, you know, they're able to repair their barricades and stuff. But at this point, it's only Barbara and Ben again. And, but at this point, there's just, there's too many ghouls and they break through. And actually it is, it's a little bit tough to notice. And that's why they made sure that he has gloves on. Um, but her brother, Johnny, uh, is ultimately, you know, he's reanimated and he grabs her and pulls her into the crowd of ghouls. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty, that was a pretty disturbing scene and you could see this look of terror and betrayal and sadness as she's being pulled into the zombie, uh, the zombie horde by, like, her own brother. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, they all, every kill is, like, very harrowing and disturbing in this movie. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, Yeah. <laughs> And so, so basically by this point, Ben has, you know, he gets into the cellar and he bars and barricades the door. The zombies cannot penetrate it. He shoots all of the corpses down there because, you know, he's got a gun. He's able to quickly dispose of them. And he's able to wait out, he's able to wait out all the ghouls upstairs, you know, for the entire night and wait them out till morning. And eventually they just kind of get bored and saunter off. And just come and they realize that it's like, oh, okay, there's nothing else we can do here. Okay, we're, we're, oh, we're just going to go on and use our zombie logic. Yeah. <laughs> what little zombie logic they have. Yeah, right. And so, and this is, and then this is the most fucking devastating part of the fucking movie. Oh, God. This movie ruined that part. The, oh, the ending scene ruined me when I was a kid. I was like, no. Like, I think this would be, it's like, now it's kind of, it's a little more expected to modern audiences now. But at the time, even now, it still hits so fucking hard. But at the time, I can see it where it's like, people did not see this coming. So Ben, he he comes out of the cellar, you know, very hesitantly. And he finally figures out, okay, there's, the, the house is cleared out. And so he's kind of peering out, you know, from one of the windows of the house. Just trying to, you know, get a lay of the land. And it ben, it's coming back to the sheriff's posse, who has been moving along and has gotten to the farmhouse. And is kind of you know start disposing of you know what few ghouls are left outside and then they spot ben up in the up in the window one of the sheriff's deputies just shoots him in the head shoots him fucking dead They're like hey i got another one and then that's the fucking movie and that's when san francisco realized they need killer robots to patrol the streets <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you haven't been reading about that? Never mind. Let's go on. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, wait, what? No, sorry. What? Uh, what's up? You, you haven't heard about the uh, the poli- the robot cops? Like they want to do RoboCop for real? Yeah, RoboCop is actually like happening in San Francisco. <laughs> but it's supposed to happen in Detroit. No, no, it's starting <laughs> in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, of course it is. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> yeah that's they listen our cars can't dr- the self-driving cars can't drive themselves all right we, we have fucking robots Jesus Christ. <laughs> the only thing that's gonna stop a bad robot with a gun is a good robot with a gun <laughs> sorry I, I realized i had the wrong reaction i should have done the uh i'm the, the trump thing I, i'm just I'm, I'm hearing about this for the first time <laughs> i just wow i mean it's it's such a listen wow i wow i, I i'm shocked you know it's uh, you know, it's yeah. Listen, you know, we may have had our disagreements, but you know, the, the police robots led an incredible life. It's it's they had you know so many accomplishments, 
and you know hey listen agree or disagree you gotta agree that the the robots were absolutely incredible <laughs> sorry i took this a whole episode into a weird direction and i thought you already had read about that i had no idea what you're talking about <laughs> Okay, yo, we're leaving this in. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're gonna undercut this incredibly devastating end with some jokes about police robots. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, Welcome okay, to our so, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyways, anyways, um, so basically, they shoot the police, shoot and kill Ben at the end of this, and and then as the credits roll, there's a series of still images of the police taking a bunch of the furniture out front out front of the house basically smashing it up and creating a big bonfire as they throw ben's corpse onto the fire and so it just it end the film ends with the police shooting you know a black man who is the lone survivor of this harrowing event and then burning his corpse in front of the fucking in like in as the credits roll it's like it is so fucking devastating. Yeah, and then they have like all the news reports like playing in the background. Like they they don't give you any ending music. It's just like news reports talking about like like bodies being burnt and like ghouls killing people. It's just it's 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 one of the bleakest endings in a movie I've ever seen. Actually, to this yeah. day, like I think it's 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 something where it's like even because even though like there's hope for humanity and that like it seems to be that like you know a lot of the you know police and military and sheriff's posses have been going through actually have been clearing out a lot of these zombies at the same time it's like is there fucking hope for humanity because look what they just fucking did like (laughs) is this a society worth saving yeah for real (laughs) and yeah it 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 really like makes you question everything by the end of the film Oh, and yeah. it's like and that's like this, this this larger existential question that is left just hovering in the air completely unsaid but just like the weight of it just bears down upon you by the end of the film oh yeah yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, this movie this yeah this movie like i think so far might be the best film we watched yeah i i would say this might yeah this might be the most well-made movie we've done so far i can't I mean, it's it's up there. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty superior movie. And as I said before, like I was uh, initially when I was looking at the uh, video nasties, you know, I was really, I was really surprised to see it on the list just because there's so many like hokey or like just downright bad movies, like you know, trash like Nightmare in a Damaged Brain, you know, <laughs> like just oh yeah, like, exactly. Like you know that that's some of, like the level of shitty and like the don't look in the basement. So. It, it kind of caught me by surprise. I'm like, I believe dead is on this list. <laughs> yeah, right. And by the way, for anyone who's wondering, where can I watch this movie? The answer is fucking everywhere. <laughs> because this movie is public domain. In fact, actually, um, you know how when you go to Wikipedia and sometimes like when looking up certain movies or whatever, they have very brief like 20 or 30 second clips of something. Well, their clip of it is literally the entire fucking movie. <laughs> and actually, their transfer of it looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, like, when I typed the, just the name of this movie on YouTube, there was, like, like 50 different links to choose from of just this movie on different channels. Like, there's no one's going to flag you for uploading this movie. <laughs> no, it's public domain. Yeah. Watch away. In fact, it's available on, I think, almost every major streaming platform. Mm-hmm. Um. And I watched it on the Criterion channel, which if you have access to the Criterion channel, I would recommend taking a look at that one because they have multiple versions of the movie. Um, they have a alternate cut of the film called Night, The Night of Anubis, yeah. um, and which I, I didn't end up watching because I only have so much time to re-watch a movie with some slight differences in it. Um, and they have, I think, multiple commentary tracks from uh, various crew members and George Romero uh, for the film. And it's it's they have quite a bit on there, uh, so it's that's pretty interesting. But I'd say there, I think I've heard there is a version of this film that you should avoid. Um, I think in the late '90s, some of the other producers of the film, in order to, you know, regain copyright status over this, so they could make some money off of it for like um, 
DVD and VHS re-releases. They released a version, I think it was like in 97 or 99 or something like that, um, where they reshot a couple scenes and added in some different music. Oh, And Jesus. I guess I've heard that it's, it's uh, an inferior version, and the music they used in it wasn't very good. Because um, also, yeah, note for the music, the music in this is all just production music from, I think, like the Capitol Records um, just like archives. And so none of it is original, was originally made for the film. And so it does have this, like the score of the film is almost for this much older movie. And that kind of adds to the mystique of it all. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I watch this on YouTube and I usually watch a lot of movies on YouTube. I get all my information and knowledge from YouTube. That's why I'm the dumbass I am today. <laughs> <laughs> everything you see on youtube is real <laughs> yeah right believe every link you click on yeah seriously that's why uh was it um i've just been doing nothing but eating raw liver since i've seen those liver king videos oh yeah for sure i'm yep. just and also this i mean goes along with this movie too they're eating raw liver in it too yeah, those I'm... zombies are healthy as fuck yeah i'm just at home smoking bong loads of ivermectin you know <laughs> yeah right <laughs> smoking ivermectin that's so good <laughs> ivermectin Do, doing bong rips yeah doing ivermectin bong rips <laughs> Joe Rogan would be so proud yeah because <laughs> he also he knows everything he's never been wrong of course <laughs> joking <laughs> Yeah, Joe Rogan's never been wrong about anything, and uh, Kanye West is certain. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, has never been wrong about anything. In fact, because uh, uh, it'd be really, it's it's funny because I mean, I know we said we're actually recording this in early December, but in actuality, we're recording this at the beginning of October, and um, yeah, you know, I, I just I can't picture him doing anything that would really do anything to upset anyone any further than they already have been by him just give me some more goofy antics calling him skeet davidson that's gonna be funny like that you know it's never gonna get any more serious you know it's not like he's gonna do anything to permanently destroy his reputation and just get him kicked off of everything all over again. You know, d definitely, definitely not. I just, I, I can't see any scenario in, in which anything controversial like that would happen. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my fucking God. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so is it time to end this on a low note? <laughs> I think it's time to end this all alone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, watch also, watch Night of the Living Dead. It's a great movie. Yeah, watch this movie. Yeah, yeah, run, don't walk to watch this movie. You'll have just an absolutely great time. Yeah, have some friends over. Yeah, slap it on. Yeah, just find a version on YouTube. And if it looks shitty and pixelated, find a version that's not shitty and pixelated because frankly, the movie looks amazing. Yeah, and if one link sucks, you will, if you keep clicking Night of Living Dead links, you will find one in really good quality. <laughs> so, you know what? Uh, until next time, stay nasty. Stay nasty. Blue jean baby LA lady Seamstress for the band Get south for gone.